mysterious problem with Christmas presents. Don't worry, no soapbox is here. Now see, the problem is actually with me. <laughs> I hint at the gifts, you know? I spill the beans and I ruin the surprise every year. But I can't help it. I love it so much. Mommy, I need you. I'm coming, sweetie. Spoiling the surprise kind of reminds me how God works. He likes to hint at big things. Like the way he hinted about that very first Christmas gift. All those years ago. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. And the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son. And he shall be called Emmanuel. Yeah, he was preparing the gift already. God packed up the greatest gift that the world had ever seen. Not even he could keep it to himself. He gets me. And God didn't just let the surprise slip once. No, he let the cat out of the bag nearly 300 times in the Old Testament. We call them prophecies. But here's the big difference between God's prophecies and just spoiling a surprise. One is giving the gift early, but you don't get to open it. And the other is God giving us a gift of hope while we wait for Jesus to come. <laughs> Do you see it? He wasn't telling us a secret. He was making us a promise. Because we humans, three chapters into the creation story, we managed to mess it all up. Yeah, we needed saving. Desperately. So, God kept sending us hope through his prophets and messengers. And that hope was the gift of his son, the Messiah. And there will never be greater gift than Jesus. And the cool thing is that hope isn't over. He promises to come again and take us all home. So the gift is just right there. The question is, will you accept it? I would like to welcome you to the wonder of Christmas. You had a special treat today. After all, we had quite the choir, that's for sure. Uh, we are grateful. We are grateful that you're here. And we are in the middle of a series that actually has us scratching our heads. We're, we're wondering why. Wondering why the King of Kings is born of a virgin and laying in a manger. We're wondering why God sacrificially loves us like he does and why God wants a relationship with us and why God gives us joy in the journey in spite of circumstances. This morning, my focus is going to be on hope. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father... This church, your church, all over this world continues to celebrate the Christmas season. Father, we would ask you to open our minds to a really familiar story today. Help us leave today with our eyes filled with wonder that we would be amazed and grateful for you 
may we receive power to understand just how much you love us and sacrifice so that we could have peace with you. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. We not only pray for this church, Father, but we pray for your church. Your church that is meeting all over. We ask you, dear God, that you would be able to be able to teach your kids, wherever they are, and whatever environment they're in, but that you would be lifted up, that you would be honored and praised. We pray for some of our sister churches right in the area, for Casa de Oracion, and for Fierce Church, and for Meadowland. We ask God that you would use those pastors and those teachers and those leaders, and that your flocks there would represent you well and be salt and light. Father, we pray for our church, and in particular, all those kids and teachers downstairs, that you would continue to work in them and through them, and that our children would fall in love with you early. We are grateful for all the ministries that are happening. And we pray, dear Father, that you once again will give energy and strength and power. Change us, Father. Change us from the inside out as we walk with you. And give us opportunity to glorify you, magnify you, mirror you, Father. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. You know, part of the wonder of Christmas is how God faithfully gives hope. Hope was born of a virgin in a Bethlehem stable. Hope incarnate was wrapped in swaddling clothes, lies sleeping in a manger. While biblical scholars are not totally united on the exact number of Old Testament prophecies of of our coming Messiah... Most agree there are probably over 300 of them. Each one was a promise of hope about what God would do one day for his people who needed a savior to be able to rescue them. Hope means to desire with anticipation, wanting something to happen or to be true. We all know the power of hope. In literature, in movies, in life. Our hope is that things are going to get better. Sometimes that's in the marriage scenario. Or, or maybe it's, it's just in life or our job. We hope it'll be worth it. And some of that is after surgery and, and you have rehab and you're Wondering, am I ever going to function again? But, but there's hope. There's hope every time you start a diet. There's hope. And what about financial planning? As you try to put, well, a little bit of money aside. And you're hoping that that's going to pay off someday. Or you're hoping that exercise that you're starting once again will eventually pay off. 
Most of us would shrivel up and die without hope because hope motivates and inspires. We know the world is a mess and that the future looks bleak. So we ask the question, where can we find hope? Where can we find hope? You know, the mess, our world's mess, our mess, started in a garden. And people are still scurrying, trying to find life, trying to live apart from God. So many of you do know the story back in Genesis when, when God created the heavens and the earth. And he put two people in a garden. And he gave them unbelievable opportunity to live abundantly. And he also gave them some instruction. But they chose not to listen to God. And the relationship with God was broken. And it was from that time on that sin began to reign. And that our world began to deteriorate. And that relationships were messed up. But good news is that God had a plan and his name was Jesus. Jesus, as you've already heard our kids sing, and perhaps you were singing, is called the Messiah, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the savior. God's plan is good news. Jesus came to pay sin's debt and to satisfy God's wrath. Because he loves you and me. Jesus came to save us from sin's power, which yields death and destruction. The wet and wobbly baby Jesus, born of a virgin, without sin, so that he could be the perfect sacrifice, enabling mankind to have peace with God. Each one of you, could be part of that family today. As you trust Christ in his death to pay for your debt. Jesus gave a broken people who live in a broken world hope. That is why hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God's prophets talked so much about the Messiah. God's promises and God's son, and God's plan all give us hope. Let's first look at God's promises. God's promises brought hope. A savior is coming. For hundreds of years, God's people heard over and over and over, there is a Messiah. There is someone who's going to come to save you from your sins. In Jeremiah 31, 31, Jeremiah writes this, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. I'm going to make things fresh. In Isaiah chapter 61, starting at verse 1, The time of the Lord's favor is coming, a time when the brokenhearted are comforted and prisoners will be freed. Oh, this was good news to a, well, a nation 
that was often held in captivity, a nation that would not listen to God very well and suffered consequences over and over and over to hear that they would someday be comforted and that they could be freed, both physically and spiritually. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, again, written 700 years before Jesus came. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God is with us. In Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6, for a child is born unto us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. And so many of you have read in Isaiah chapters 52 and 53 where the prophet literally talks specifically about Jesus. And and he says, someday a perfect, humble, loving servant is going to come. He will be rejected. He will be pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins. God will lay on him all of our sins and he will be the perfect offering for sin. So you see, for hundreds of years, in spite of the tough and terrible scenarios or situations, they heard the Messiah was coming. And at the perfect time, hope was born and laid in a manger. The Messiah, our Savior, came to save our world from our sins. The second thing, God's Son brings hope so you can have life now. In John chapter 10, starting at verse 10, the first nine verses talk about Jesus being the good shepherd. And how the good shepherd gives up his life for the sheep. And in this story, we are the sheep. And he cares for the sheep. And he wants the sheep to thrive. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says this. The thief's purpose, or the false shepherd's purpose, is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose, Jesus says, the purpose of the good shepherd is to give them, the sheep, the flock, a rich and satisfying life right now. You see, Jesus was making sure we all understood there are two forces at work. One is the enemy who takes life and steals and destroys. He deceives and focuses on temporary highs and diminishes the consequences. That's how the enemy works. But Jesus, Jesus came. 
in order that we might be able to live a rich and satisfying life. No matter what circumstances, no matter what the situations are, that a relationship, that God's presence in your life will give you perspective and energy like nothing else can. It's very interesting. In Hebrews chapter 2, starting at verse 14, the scriptures say this, because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son, talking about Jesus, also became flesh and blood. That's Christmas. For, for only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way he could set free all of those who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Therefore, it is necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. This is amazing. The Savior whose agenda and mission was and is to give all people the opportunity to have and experience abundant life, a full and satisfying life in spite of a broken world. These are not false promises. These are realities. This abundant life would be such that people who became his followers, those who are part of his family, could enjoy abundant living now. This was the gift that was alluded to in the video that we can receive by faith and experience this Christmas, even now, and enjoy throughout all of eternity. Yes, Jesus came to give us abundant life in him. However, he also came to do something about our enemy who continues to steal, kill, and destroy lives. Jesus came to die in our place so that the sin that used to control us can't do that anymore. Jesus came to defeat the authority the enemy has in our lives. God's kids no longer are slaves to sin. We have a new authority. The Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. He says, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. The power and authority. Which only yields destruction and death. It is because of God's love and grace and mercy that we can live abundantly and forever. Let's just take a moment and look at that forever. Have you noticed when you're young, you don't think a lot about forever? 
You, you don't think about when you will die or, or how long forever is. But as you get older, let me give you a clue. Things don't work that well. And things begin to deteriorate. And, and you start remembering very quickly that life is pretty temporary. And that this life, no matter how long God gives you, and no matter how wonderful it is, as you get older, it gets harder. And forever is starting to look really, really sweet. So God's plans continue to give us hope. You will live forever. Not everybody but those are part of God's family. Those who receive Jesus as personal Savior. You see the Advent, and sometimes we forget this. The Advent season actually focuses on two arrivals. And so much of the time we focus on the first arrival. The arrival of the Messiah as Savior, which happened over 2,000 years ago. But the arrival of the Messiah as King... King of kings is coming. Jesus came as an innocent baby the first time. He went obediently and humbly to the cross as a perfect sacrifice. Jesus defeated death and rose from the grave victoriously. Then 40 days later, he ascended to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit down to empower and to lead his followers. It's amazing. But according to Revelation 19, the book that's in the back of your Bible, the book that oftentimes is not opened just because of some of the confusion. But in Revelation 19, we read that Jesus is coming again to claim what his own is. And at that time, he will come as king of kings and lord of lords, riding on a white horse with fire in his eyes, a crown on his head, leading a mighty army to bring justice and to establish his kingdom forever. You see, the first time Jesus came, he dealt with sin. He is bringing salvation to all those who are part of his family when he returns a second time. In Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 27, the scriptures say this, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that, comes judgment. It's actually a sobering verse. Every one of us will someday die. And we will meet Jesus. We will. He will be judge or he will be savior. And so also, the the verse goes on, Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. And, And listen to this part. He will come again 
not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all those who are eagerly waiting for him, to all those who are part of his family, to all those for all of eternity to spend time with Jesus. You know, sometimes we wonder what that's going to look like. We wonder how long eternity is going to be. We, we wonder if this heaven thing is just, well, it's just streets of gold and, and a lot of angels roaming around. And like, I, will I be bored? How, is this really how I want to spend eternity? But God just gives us glimpses. And one thing we understand so clearly is that when we actually come into the presence of God, we're in awe. And we are worshiping and we're so grateful. But listen to this. He will come again to bring salvation. It'll be a place where there are no more tears. It'll be a place again where there will be joy and gladness. It will be a place when you experience all of God's grace in your life forever. You know, the scriptures are filled with reminders that Jesus is returning. In fact, you may not even recognize, I'm going to read some very familiar verses, and and you may, whoa, that is in there. I, I guess people were thinking about Jesus coming back. But in the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer, which, which again, so many of you know by heart and so many even, even say, perhaps even daily, our Father which art in heaven, in Matthew 6, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Lord, return. We want you to come in power. We want you to come in authority. Please, come back. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, it's a passage for those, again, who are familiar. When, when we are taking communion or the Lord's Supper, the Apostle Paul gives some encouragement. And, and he basically says this, every time you partake in communion, every time you partake in the Lord's Supper, chapter 11, verse 26, you are announcing the Lord's death, we're remembering, until he comes again. Literally in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, Jesus himself says, yes, I am coming soon. Is it well, soon? Like, Rick, you know, it's been a while. Uh, like, you know, th- this book was written <laughs> a little bit ago. Like, what's soon to God? I, actually, I don't know what soon is to God. We have some hints that a thousand years is like a day. So maybe he'll come in two days. I don't know. But in John 14, I love this part. Because in John 14, this is Jesus sitting around the table with his disciples. And he is just about ready to be able to go to the garden, to be able to give himself up, and to be able to go to the cross. 
But in this last meeting, he's saying again, over and over and over, hey guys, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going back to my father. And they're starting to shake a little bit. They're afraid. They spent the last three years with Jesus. Jesus, do do you really have to go? And he asks you, he says, yes. It's going to be good that I go because I'm going to send the Spirit and the Spirit's going to live in you and you will always have God living in you way better than hanging out with me. And, and then he says this to these guys who are a little bit afraid, not understanding the future, wondering what's going to happen. John 14, verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't, don't be afraid, guys. Trust in God and and trust also in me. Trust in the words that I've given you. There's more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, I would have told you that I am going now to prepare a place for you that when everything is ready, when the timing's perfect, I will come and get you so that you if you know the Lord, will be with me forever and ever and ever. Whoa. So so how do we live until Christ returns? I I mean, this is... This is good news. Uh, The Messiah was going to come. The Messiah did come. And gives us power and authority to live abundantly. But the good news is that it's only for now. Jesus also came so that we can spend eternity with him. Uh, how do we live? Well, if you've been in our church for very long, you hear me talk often about developing three relationships. Relationships that will benefit you now and benefit you later. The first and most important relationship is your up relationship with the Lord. As you spend time with him, as you listen to him, as he changes you and me from the inside out, we begin thinking differently and acting differently. And then eventually when we see Jesus, This is so cool. You have this relationship. You've developed some of this. And when you see Jesus, that relationship skyrockets. How cool is that? And then the in relationship. Continue to to build relationships with those other believers. Those inside the walls of perhaps your church, as I see so many guests here today. Opportunities for you to be able to work together and serve one another and love one another and actually represent to our world what unity and what love and what the family of God looks like. And then lastly, that relationship with those maybe outside these walls or 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 those that are not yet redeemed as your salt and light and as you encourage them, as you reflect God well, as you mirror the Lord wherever you go, 
And you help people see how wonderful and gracious our God is. Or maybe we could just put it this way. Just walk with the king. Listen, obey, respond, and be ready for his return. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11, 12, and 13, the apostle Paul writes this. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, offering salvation to everyone. That's why this season is so amazing. We are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures because it robs us. But we should live in this evil world with wisdom and righteousness and devotion to God while we look forward with hope. With hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He will come back. In Psalm 147, 11, the psalmist writes this, the Lord's delight in those who fear him, those who put their hope in his unfailing love. You know, I'm so glad you came today. I'm so glad you're able to hear how much God cares and and how we can put our hope in him. Let me pray. Let me pray. Father, we are grateful once again for all that you have done in our lives. We... We've looked at this Advent series. We've looked at this time as we've begun to reflect on how much you love us, how you sacrificially love us and died in our place so that we might have peace with you. We thank you for your companionship and how you can give us joy. But Father, for some reason, you knew how important hope was. And for those Before Jesus, you shared over and over and over. And for us who live after the Messiah has come, we have an opportunity to live abundantly and look forward to eternity with you. I pray, dear Father, that if there is someone even now, whether they be online, whether they be inside these walls. Lord, if, if they're not part of your family, if they're not walking with you, I, I pray, dear God, you would draw them to yourself, a God who loves them and desires them to live abundantly. Father, I would like to end my time reading a benediction that the Apostle Paul said at the end of the book of Romans. He he said this. He said, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. Then, You will overflow with confident hope 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in your son's name.